Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 14. The next morning, David and Naya went to talk to Chief Jackson. David hadn't gotten much sleep. After the miraculous healing of his ankle, he had awakened Naya and they had speculated about the identity and motive of the mysterious black woman who had appeared in his dream. Although they reached no conclusions, he was too excited and intrigued to easily sink back into sleep. He lay awake, his thoughts circling ceaselessly, and soon after sleep finally took him, it was time to wake again. They wanted to catch Chief Jackson in his office before he got bogged down in his day-to-day issues. It was Labor Day. Throughout Mason's Corner, David saw people cutting grass and firing up barbecue grills, gearing up for holiday cookouts. It made him edgy. If only the residents knew the trouble that was building, they would be hitting the highway to get the hell out of there. It made him more determined than ever to win Jackson's support. They parked on Main Street, in front of the police station. He's there, Naya said, indicating a man's side profile, visible through the blinds on the front window. Thank God. Let's go sell him, David said. Inside, Chief Jackson sat behind a small desk on which were piled folders, scattered papers, and an old computer partially covered by files. A teenage boy who bore a strong resemblance to the chief sat beside Jackson's desk. Deputy Dedu, whom they had met at the hospital yesterday, was at his own desk, paging through a file. None of the three looked happy to see David and Naya. Anxiety lined their faces. They seemed to sense that the visit heralded bad news. Chief Jackson cleared his throat. throat) Morning, folks. Guess y'all ain't here paying a social call. We got something critically important to tell you, David said. I only ask that you let us tell you everything before you interrupt for questions. The teenager began to chew on his fingernail. The deputy closed his file, leaned forward. Chief Jackson tipped back in his chair and steep with his thick fingers on his stomach. All right, got my attention. Take a seat and start the telling. David and I began to tell the story, beginning with the appearance of the Frenchman, Kyle's assistant, who asked two men to help him dig on the Mason property. David only spared the details of his personal investigation into his father's life, as he was still unsure how his father was connected with what was happening. They spilled everything else to their audience, including their conclusion that they were dealing with vampires. 
There was no point whatsoever in hiding the truth. Chief Jackson remained silent throughout their speech. At various points, he idly examined his nails or looked out of the window. The teenager and deputy, however, were captivated. That everything? Jackson said. His face is unreadable. Yes, sir, Naya said. That's what has been going on here. It explains the disappearances, the attack at the hospital, everything. Got that Bible with you to figures in the tale? Jackson asked. I sure do. David pulled the Bible out of his duffel bag and slid it across the desk. The chief slowly flipped through pages, humming a song. Then he closed the book. He took a sip of coffee, frowned as if not liking the taste. Well, David said, putting the Bible back into the bag. Do you believe us? I got a lot of respect for the Hunter family, Jackson said. He nodded at Naya. The James folks, too. But y'all are way off base on this. I ain't never heard so much foolishness in my life. We aren't lying, Naya said. Vane stood out on her neck. Didn't you hear us tell you what happened at the hospital? How Doc Bennett was bitten by that girl? How she went into a frenzy? Girl was sick, Jackson shrugged. Folks act up when they get sick. Even if it's just a sickness, and it isn't, Naya said, you should call a town meeting, pass out flyers, get volunteers to go door to door, warn people. This isn't going to go away. It's only going to get worse. Ain't a good idea to get folks all riled up because a girl got sick, Jackson said. Doc Bennett can back up everything we told you, Naya said. He's in the hospital right now. Call him. You said Doc Bennett was sick, Jackson said. Don't want to disturb a sick old guy to ask him about some nonsense. He needs his rest. Naya swore under her breath. David spread his hands on the desk. Chief, be straight with us. Do you think we've made all of this up? I ain't say you made up nothing. You might seen some stuff happen. But you're interpreting things wrong, buddy. Ain't no such thing as vampires. The chief quickly looked away from them. His fingers drummed the armrest. You're scared, Naya said. She looked from the chief to the teenager to the deputy. All of you are scared out of your damn minds. You know something's going on in this town, and you're afraid to do anything about it. Cowards. The chief glared at her. Don't forget your place, Miss James. But Naya kept going. If you don't get off your butts and start taking action, my place is going to be at the local cemetery, and so will yours. Chief Jackson pushed away from his desk and rose. All right, now. I think it's time for you folks to leave. Naya started to continue the argument, but David put his hand on her arm. Forget it, Naya. Let's drop it. Looks like Franklin was wrong about the chief. He said he would rise to the occasion, but I guess not. He's not the man that Franklin hoped he was. Will you at least go check out the guy at the Mason place, Naya said. Can you please do that much? Got no reason to hassle innocent folk. Jackson nodded in the direction of the doorway. Doors over there. See you around. The teenager and the deputy appeared to be anguished, but David saw no way to get through to them if they allowed Jackson to cow them in a silence. Shaking his head, David took Nia's hand and they left the station. 
Shit. He pissed me off, Naya said. He knows something's happening and he's too scared to do anything about it. He's going to have to face up to it soon. Like you said, things are only going to get worse. They got inside the Pathfinder. Naya folded her arms across her chest. I admit, we gave him a lot to swallow, David said. If I were him and some people came in and said vampires were the cause of the trouble in town, I'd be doubtful too. But he could at least check out our story. The deputy believed us, Naya said. I think the chief's son did too. Maybe they'll be able to talk some sense into the chief. David checked the dashboard clock. It read 921. I think we should visit Franklin. I want to see if he has any ideas about what we should do. And I'm worried about him too. It's been almost 16 hours since he was bitten. Good idea, Naya said. Let's hurry up and get to the hospital. Kids done gone crazy, Van Jackson said. He stood at the window, peeping through the blinds as the hunter boy and the James girl drove away. He turned to face Jalil and deputy to do. Vampires. You ever heard some mess like that? He laughed, a trifle uneasily. <laughs> he felt a trembling in his knees and hastily sat in his chair. They told us about the wild dogs and Shanice, Jalil said solemnly. They took away T-Bone last night, like I told you. The same kind of wild dog initially attacked Shanice Stevens, too, Dadu said. I've written a report of what happened to that poor girl. After her spree of violence at the hospital, she disappeared until Jalil saw her last night. A bead of cold sweat trickled down Jackson's temple. He wasn't supposed to be feeling like this. He'd taken a vacation yesterday so he could relax, gain perspective, and wrestle his fear into submission. He thought he had conquered his anxiety, but when he drove back home early this morning, the dread returned, as though it permeated the air in the town like some kind of psychic smog. It maddened him because he could not put his finger on the cause of his fear. It lay heavy in his stomach, like an acidic, undigested meal. His son's eyes pled for a solution. A yearning for a bravely delivered command filled the deputy's eyes, too. Can't accept vampires, Jackson said. He shook his head firmly. Can't do it. Too crazy to consider. You've got to do something, Dad, Jalil said. I got to think on it a little while, Jackson said. Got to be a sensible explanation. Whatever, man, Jalil said. He got up. I'm going by Polk's crib. Later. Jalil started out the door. Jackson almost called to his son to tell him, Son, I want to help, but I'm afraid and I don't know what to do. But he said nothing. His kid hopped on his bicycle and pedaled down the street. Deputy Dedu stood, put on his hat. You leaving too? Jackson said, not liking the touch of anxiety in his voice. He sounded like a child, afraid of being left alone in the dark. I'm going to grab some donuts, Dedu said. His face was downcast. I'll be back. The empty office was the loneliest place on earth. The room was silent and lifeless. But it was safe. Jackson admitted to himself that he did not want to step outdoors. There were things happening out there that he'd rather not consider. He would stay inside, 
man the phones, and dispatch the deputy and perhaps another officer to handle any work that arose. But first, he would open the blinds to chase away all the shadows in the office. Deputy Ray Dedu resolved that it was time for him to take matters into his own hands. The chief was normally a brave, dependable officer, but he wasn't the right man to handle this. Vampires were not in Mason's Corner. Extraterrestrials were in Mason's Corner. And Dedu was the only one in town with the insight and courage to lead the human resistance against the invasion. A diehard skeptic like the chief couldn't do it. However, it would be good to have a little help. Even the most valiant heroes had sidekicks. To that end, Dedu cruised along the street, searching for the Robin to his Batman. He caught up to Jalil as the kid was about to cross the intersection of Maine and Lumley. Dedu rolled down his cruiser pasture window. Hey, Jalil, come here, will you? Yeah? Jalil rolled closer to the car, one hand raised to block the glare of the sunlight. You and I have something in common, my friend, Dedu said. What's that? We're inclined to believe the story that David Hunter and Nia James told us. A change came over the boy's face to let Dedu know that his instinct was right on. Caution framed Jalil's features. I don't know. Maybe I believe him, sort of. Jalil shrugged. I just want my dad to do something. He's a chief, you know? He's afraid, Dedu said. I respect your father, but fear is clouding his judgment. My dad ain't scared of nothing. Normally, I would agree with you. Chief Jackson is a brave man. But today, he's afraid. Jalil hung his head slightly. Now, I'm not afraid, Dedu said. This isn't a time to sit idly, paralyzed with fright, needlessly debating whether to call an orange an apple or to admit that it's truly an orange. We have to act. The fate of human civilization is at risk. Huh? Dedu waved his hand. Never mind, Jalil. I'm going to investigate the Mason residence, and I want you to come with me. Man, you crazy. I ain't going up there. Let's move to the curbside, Dedu said. We don't want to impede the flow of traffic. Jalil rolled his bike onto the sidewalk. Dedu parked in front of a hardware store, then reached across the seat and opened the passenger door. Climb in for a moment, my friend. Jalil got inside the car. Suspicion tinted his gaze. Dedu picked his words carefully. This is a time for the men in this town to be courageous. We have to act in spite of fear. That's what heroes do. Act bravely in spite of fear. Do you want to be a hero? I'm not a cop. You're the chief's son. Your grandfather was a chief before your father assumed the job. Police duty runs in your blood, and that's good enough for me. You got the right stuff. Baby. Jalil watched him closely, weighing his words. Your friend was snatched last night, Dedu said. You want to know what happened to him. You want to believe that he's okay and will turn up soon. I want those answers too. You were there when Hunter and I were talking. It's clear that our adversaries are residing in the Mason house. But if they're really vampires, man, Jalil said. They'll be asleep during daylight hours, Dedu said punctuating his statement with a snap of his long fingers. 
Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. The dude smiled. The boy was finally coming around. Good. I'm only going to check around the residence and see what evidence I can uncover, the dude said. I want you to accompany me as backup. You'll not need to exit the vehicle if you don't wish to. That's all, Jalil said. Just sit in the car and chill. Yes, sir. It doesn't sound like much, but only you can help me with this. No one else believes and has the courage. Jalil was silent for several seconds, chewing his lip. All right, Jalil said, but if anything goes wrong, I'm calling my dad. Fair enough, future chief. Jalil smiled briefly. Let me lock up my bike over there by the store. I'll be right back. Jalil drummed his fingers against his thighs as the deputy drove up the steep road that led to the Mason place. Although it was a peaceful sunny morning, Jalil was on edge. He could not believe that he had agreed to help the deputy. He watched Dudu out the corner of his eye. Dudu had a firm set to his jaw and his spider-like hands clutched the steering wheel in a death grip. The man was afraid, but committed to his duty, and Jalil admired that about him. He couldn't say as much for his dad. Dad had punked out. Because dad was so scared, Jalil could not help being scared too. Anything that frightened dad was worth fearing. But Dudu was right. Someone had to act. Someone had to look into what happened to T-Bone and the other people who had disappeared. It was a job for the cops. And Jalil, whether he liked it or not, would probably become a cop one day. Dudu hit the nail on the head when he said that it was in Jalil's blood. Jalil was on the fence about whether vampires were real. No doubt, some strange shit was going on. But vampires? He wasn't ready to swallow that yet. He only hoped that if vampires were in town, they could not really walk around during the day. They reached the crest of the hill. Jubilee came into view, swathed in shadows. It was morning, but the place still looked creepy. Jalil's hands were clammy. He had never set foot inside the house or on the property, and he had no plans to do so now. He was not going to leave the car. Deputy Dudu could snoop around all he wanted. The deputy parked across the street from the gate, in the shade of a maple tree. Here we are, Dudu said. His voice trembled on the last word. Are you sure you want to do this? Jalil said. He half hoped the deputy changed his mind. If not us, who? Dudu said. If not now, when? Take heart, my friend. The fate of the human race may well be in our hands. More of that loony talk. Dudu sounded like an actor in an old space adventure flick. All right, Jalil said. I'll wait in here. Dudu handed him a walkie-talkie. Keep it turned on. I'll have mine with me. If I need backup, I'll request your assistance. Man, be careful. There's one more thing. Dudu reached forward and popped open the glove compartment. A shiny handgun was nestled inside. A Smith & Wesson 9mm. Cool, Jalil said. Is that one for me? If you need it, Dudu said. I'm sure the chief has instructed you on the proper use of firearms. Yeah, but I hope I don't have to use it. Likewise. I'll return soon. Dudu smiled tightly. He got out of the car and walked to the gate, his small head bobbing. Jalil found a good station on the car radio, switched on the walkie-talkie, and waited.
The gate was unlocked. The dude pressed the opening mechanism, a small lever, and the entrance creaked open. He wearily stepped inside. The gate clanged shut behind him. Instinctively, he rested his hand on his glock. He looked around the rambling yard, paying special attention to the ground. He had to stay alert for alien pods. He had seen photos of such phenomena in the tabloids. They resembled giant eggs and were a surefire indicator of extraterrestrial activity. He did not spot any pods yet, but that didn't mean anything. Continuing to sweep his gaze back and forth, he tread forward across the driveway. Jubilee loomed in front of him, like an alien mothership. Well, the house didn't look like a spacecraft, really. But he had read stories of extraterrestrials who concealed their ships inside large homes. This mansion was spacious enough to contain a starship. They could blow away the roof when it was time to launch. Of course, if it came to that, it would mean that they were fleeing the planet. The dude planned to destroy them before they could make an escape. He could already imagine the headline in his favorite tabloid. Brave Mississippi Cop Prevents Alien Invasion. Think of the fame and respect that he'd gain. Instead of working in this sleepy town, he'd earn an appointment to a top-secret X-Files agent position in the FBI, probably out in Nevada. Books would be written about his exploits. TV shows would be produced. Fan websites would sprout up like weeds. He would become a legend. Ray Dudu, Earth's Defender. His fingers tingled on the gun. Under the tree bows, he saw a small brown mound spaced in random patterns. He put the edge to his boot in one of the deposits. It was soft and mushy, like excrement. The dogs had done this, or rather, the aliens masquerading as dogs. Gosh, it smelled like dog crap too. Curling his lips, he rubbed his soul against a clean spot in the grass. He neared the mansion. He did not walk across the veranda and knock on the door. Only an amateur would do that. He lurked to a window at the edge of the porch. He peeped through the glass, cupping his hands beside his eyes to reduce the sun's glare. The window provided a view of the big living room. It had all pieces of furniture, a vast crumbling fireplace, and half-melted white candles sitting on several surfaces. The extraterrestrials evidently had a distaste for artificial light, but he did not see anything else of interest. He would continue to circle the property. He moved slowly, alert for a trap that might snare his foot. At the corner of the house, he turned and slink along the side of the mansion. Towering maple trees stood guard on this side. They cast cool shadows. Ahead, there was another window. This one should give him a look at another room. He peered inside. A man stood there watching him. Shouting in surprise, ah! the dude backed up and tore his Glock out of the holster. Hands shaking, he aimed his gun at the window. Hands shaking, he aimed the gun at the window. But the man had vanished, like a wisp of smoke. The dude clicked on his radio. He sucked a couple deep breaths to steady his voice. This is Deputy Dudu. I spotted a suspect inside the house. He's tall, dark-skinned, dressed in black. 
A chorus of deep growls captured the dude's attention. He turned. Three large dogs stepped out of the shadows. A pit bull, a mixed breed collie, and a Doberman. Redness burned in their eyes, and saliva dripped from their jaws in heavy strands. Aliens masquerading as murderous canines, like invasion of the body snatchers. A chill pressed against the dude's spine, like another layer of clothing. Three canines are blocking my path to the front, the dude said into the walkie-talkie. I'll try to scare them away, but I need backup, and I need it now. No response from Jalil. Had the kid wet his pants? Dudu shoved the radio into the case on his hip. He trained the Glock on the hounds. Back off, mutts, he said. The dog stared directly into his eyes, challenging him. He swallowed. They were far too intelligent and fearless to be ordinary animals. Another rumbling growl on his right. Two more alien mutts. Dudu raised the gun skyward and fired. The bang echoed across the land. A normal canine would have scrambled at the sound of gunfire. These hounds only grumbled, unfazed. They moved closer. There were too many of them for him to take down with the Glock before one of them tackled him and ripped out his throat. It would be suicide. He did the only thing he could think of. Ran. Jalil was enjoying a rap song on the radio when the walkie-talkie crackled into life and the deputy's terrified voice came over the airwaves. This is Deputy Dudu. I spotted a suspect inside the house. He's tall, dark-skinned, and dressed in black. An arctic chill wrapped around Jalil's body. Could it be a vampire? The one he had seen a few nights ago putting a body in a truck? Dudu's voice crackled from the speaker again. Three canines are blocking my path to the front. I'll try to scare him away, but I need backup, and I need it now. Those vicious vampire dogs. Shit. The radio sputtered in the silence, followed soon by an unmistakable sound. A boom of gunfire that came from somewhere near the house. Jalil gnawed his lip. He could radio for Dad, but it would take several minutes for him to get there, if he came at all. His father was acting so strangely Jalil was not sure what he would do. The deputy needed backup right now. Jalil opened the glove compartment. His sweaty hand closed over the gun. He would notify Dad quickly, then move out to help the do. He switched on the police CB radio on the dashboard, plucked the handset off the hook. Dad, it's Jalil. Are you there? His heart pounded a half dozen times before Dad answered. What are you doing on the radio? I'm at Jubilee with the deputy. What the hell are you doing up there? Dad, there's no time for that. Some dogs are after to do, and he needs help. We need you here now. I'm going out there to help him. Damn it, boy. You stay in that car. You hear me? Gotta go. Trembling, Jalil replaced the headset. Stay away from that house, boy, Dad shouted. Sorry, Dad, but someone has to help, Jalil said under his breath. While his dad had commanded him to stay tight, Jalil climbed out of the patrol car. He had not heard another gunshot, and he could not see what was happening around the mansion. The trees blocked his view. Gripping the gun, he crossed the road and approached the gate. As if they had materialized from the ether, three dogs raced out of the shadows, barking. He drew back. 
Snapping, the dogs ran up the fence. They were big animals, and their eyes were like burning coals. Saliva foamed from their mouths. Their teeth seemed to be sharp enough to snap through iron. They were just like the dogs that had attacked T-Bone last night. Vampiric mutts. He was grateful that the fence was at least six feet high, but he would have to find another way onto the property. As he backed away and looked down the deserted road that twisted in front of Jubilee, he heard a clinking noise. One of the dogs, a German Shepherd mix, stood on his hind legs. With his forepaws, it tapped the lever to open the gate. Unbelievable. The gate eked open. Jalil spun and ran. The hounds chased after him. After he heard his son's frantic call, Van Jackson didn't know how long he stared at the radio. Time had slowed. It crept forward with the sluggishness of syrup on a winter morning, and his thoughts were amplified in that segment of distorted time, looping endlessly through his mind. He gnawed on his fingernail with the feverishness of a trapped raccoon chewing on a snag paw. Gotta help my son and the deputy, but I'm scared. Gotta help my son and the deputy, but I'm scared. Gotta help my son and the deputy, but I'm scared. Gotta help my son and the deputy, but I'm scared. Ink black eyes floated into his mind's eye. Eyes as deep as wells. And words, too, delivered with the coolness of a seasoned killer. When you leave this place, you will not remember seeing me or the dogs. When you leave this place, the idea of ever visiting this residence again will fill you with paralyzing fear. You will not remember me issuing these commands to you. You will act upon them as though they spring from your own consciousness. A revelation broke through Jackson's thoughts, like a cracking rifle shot. That man at the Mason place has been controlling my mind. Shit, he said. He looked at his finger. He had bitten past the nail and punctured the skin. Bright blood oozed from the wound, and it throbbed with dull pain. But at least he had gotten his mind back. At last, he remembered visiting Jubilee and speaking to the tall man draped in heavy black clothes. He had been there to question him about the disappearance of a young lady. The man had boldly admitted his guilt, then somehow erased the incident out of Jackson's mind as though his mind was merely a blackboard. He'd injected Jackson with a liberal dose of crippling fear, too. Nothing else explained the irrational dread that dogged him lately. He had been brainwashed. But Jackson remembered everything now. His idea that coiled around his gut this time was not irrational, but very sensible. They were dealing with something supernatural. Perhaps a vampire, as Hunter and James claimed, or perhaps something else. Whatever it was, he had never dealt with it before. Now, he had to face it. His son and his deputy were up at that godforsaken house. They'd probably gone there because he'd been acting like too much of a coward to fulfill his duty. He would never forgive himself for this. He ran out of the station and to his patrol car. He roared down the street, sirens blaring. Surrounded on two sides by vicious dogs, Deputy Dedu's only alternative was to run towards the back of the Mason house. He had never been a fast runner. Although he had long legs... He lacked coordination, always had. His clumsiness made him the butt of jokes in school. 
Nicknames such as the Stick Man and to do the Dodo Bird followed him all the way through high school graduation. He heard the taunts in his thoughts as he sprinted along the side of the house. His hat spun off his head. The alien dogs were on his butt. They were too close for him to dare looking behind him. He rounded the rear corner. A set of storm doors were ahead. They yawned open like jaws. He ran towards the doorway. It was the only place to escape. A short flight of crumbling stone steps led into a dark chamber. He leapt across the stairs and landed on the concrete below. Pain jolted through his knees. He stumbled, grimacing. Above him, the doors closed with a boom. Darkness filled the stairwell and the room behind. A lock snicked into place. Had someone been hidden outside, waiting for him to plunge into the cellar so they could trap him? The dogs had fallen silent. They did not scratch against the door either. It was as if the hounds had purposefully driven him to the basement. Their work complete, they were leaving him in the hands of whatever unearthly evil awaited him inside. Cut it out, he thought. You don't know that. Nevertheless, fear tightened his throat. He thought of using his radio to call for help again, but he was afraid to make any noise. The kid had already heard him the first time, anyway. It was up to the boy to do the right thing and get him some assistance, quickly. The sound of his breathing was loud down there, as if he were shut inside a coffin. He gripped the Glock with one hand. With his other hand, he unclipped a small flashlight from his duty belt and clicked it on. He panned the light around. No windows at all. Gray brick walls lined with melted candles. An entertainment center that housed a television and other electronics was positioned in front of a large, hospital-style bed. The white sheets covered a large humanoid shape. He remembered what folks had told him earlier about vampires. The master vampire, or alien, as the do preferred to think of it, was supposed to be in the house, feeding on blood and building his strength. The do would wager that this was a creature's room. The faint, coppery smell of blood flavored the dank air. Was the vampire lying in the bed, asleep? His eyes had mostly adjusted to the darkness. He wanted to free his hands, so he balanced the flashlight on the floor. The funnel of light angled upward and provided decent illumination throughout the center of the room. He moved to the foot of the bed. He grasped the end of the sheet. Aiming the gun at whatever lay on the mattress... He pulled down the blanket. Three fluffy pillows lay on the bed. There was no one there. No alien. No vampire. Crap, Dudu said. He released a pent-up breath. <sighs> he had been frightened out of his mind for nothing. There was a threat in his mist, but it was not in here. You've got to be braver than this, Dudu, if you want to earn the title of Earth's Defender. He smiled a little. Something warm dripped onto his arm. Frowning, he looked up. A giant black man hung suspended against the ceiling like a monstrous spider. Lips parted to reveal sharp fangs that dripped with saliva. The dude cried out and swung the gun upward. The man's long arm swooped like a sky through the air. He swatted the revolver out of the dude's hands. The gun clattered into the darkness. Frantic. Dudu drew his nightstick out of its loop on his belt. 
The man unpeeled his body from the ceiling and fluently came to stand against the floor. He was huge, a whole head taller than Dudu, who stood 6'4". He was as muscular as Dudu was skinny. He wore a ragged black shirt, jeans, boots. The creature's eyes were black holes. Blinking, Dudu stumbled backwards. For the first time in his life, he was face to face with an extraterrestrial. This wasn't a tabloid photograph. This was real. He felt a warm gush running down his leg. He had urinated on himself. What? What world are you from? Dudu said. He was amazed that he had the presence of mind to ask such a question. You're not a vampire. You're an alien. Grunting, <sighs> the creature lunged at Dudu. Dudu yelled a battle cry and swung the nightstick with all of his strength. The creature seized the baton in midair and snatched it out of Dudu's hands. It snapped the stick in half as though it was a pencil. Weaponless, except for his bare hands, Dudu began to throw a punch. But the creature clapped its hands over Dudu's shoulders and squeezed, pinning his arms to his sides. Dudu struggled, but it was like being trapped in a steel clamp. He couldn't get away. The creature opened its wide, fang-filled mouth. Last summer... A raccoon had become trapped in Dudu's chimney, and the stink of the dead animal had contaminated the entire house. The smell that royal from this beast's maw was equally sickening. It was a stench of death. The creature lifted Dudu in the air and drew him forward. Dudu finally realized where this monster had really come from, and it was not Venus, Mars, the Andromeda Galaxy, or any other galactic world. It was from hell. David knocked on the door of Franklin's hospital room before he and Nia went inside. Sitting at Franklin's bedside, Ruby looked up. She still wore her nurse's uniform. Her hair was frizzy, and her red-rimmed eyes were puffy from crying. David's heart ached. Ruby had undoubtedly been at her husband's side all night. Franklin lay on his back, eyes closed, chest rising and falling slowly. How's he doing? David said. He's been sleeping on and off, Ruby said in a scratchy voice. Dr. Green came in earlier to check on him, and he still can't figure out what's wrong. They think it's a virus of some kind. They're waiting on blood test results. Which might not prove anything, David said. Of course, no one told his doctor anything about vampires. Dr. Green would never believe a story like that, Ruby said. I wouldn't believe it either if I wasn't living it. I'm so sorry, Ruby, Naya said. She rubbed the older woman's shoulder. David stood near Franklin. Franklin looked so sickly, nothing like the man who had kindly greeted him when he moved into his father's house. That day seemed like a lifetime ago. David held Franklin's hand. The man's fingers were cool. David was afraid to wonder how close Franklin was to changing. Franklin opened his eyes, blinked groggily. I don't have much time left, do I? Franklin said in a weak voice. Oh, sugar. Ruby kissed Franklin's cheek. I have all the time in the world because we're going to make you better. You hear me? Franklin smiled, but it was a sad expression. Where are your crutches, David? A lot has happened since we last saw you, David said. Tell me, please, Franklin said. He scooted up a few inches. I may be in my final hours as a mortal man, 
but that hasn't diminished my appetite for a good story. Jalil jumped into the patrol car and locked the doors. Although he had a gun, he wasn't quick enough on the draw to drop these three super fast monster mutts. Trying something like that would be crazy. The vampiric dogs charged across the road. One of them leapt against a passenger door. Angry snout smashed against the glass. Another pounced onto the hood. The car rocked under the creature's assault, metal creaking and buckling. The canine's relentless snarls hurt Jalil's ears. He grabbed the radio handset. Dad, where are you? You gotta get up here now. The dogs have me trapped in the car. Dad's voice came over the airwaves, barely audible over the dog's ferocious barks. On my way, son. Sit tight. You got the key? Jalil looked at the ignition. The key dangled there. His terror had blinded him to the obvious. If you got the key, drive the hell away from there, Dad said. Got it, Jalil said. Drive away, but don't go too far. I'll be there in a couple of minutes. Okay, Dad. Shaking, Jalil twisted the key. The engine coughed, but did not start. Oh, no, no, no! Jalil hammered the steering wheel. Don't do this to me! The third dog bounded onto the roof. The ceiling welled under the animal's weight. The hound's ceaseless barks mangled his nerves. He turned the key again. The engine caught and turned over. Thank you, God. He punched the accelerator. The car rocketed forward, throwing the dogs off balance. And Jalil realized too late. Because the deputy had parked the vehicle on the downward slope of a hill, he had angled the tires towards the curb. The burst of acceleration launched the car off the shoulder and directly into a deep, muddy ditch. Cursing, Jalil jacked the gear in the reverse and pressed the gas. The tire spun uselessly, spitting up gravel. He was stuck. The monster hounds roared and attacked the car. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook uh, Leave a review on Podchaser Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcast And then copy and paste that in the Good Pods Which is an app um, Thank you to everybody who's been supporting us Through all three avenues We appreciate that um, Whoever left a one star review on Apple Podcasts But didn't leave a reason why those are useless reviews, y'all. Like, if you're going to leave a review, at least let me know what I'm doing right or doing wrong so I can either fix it or ignore you. Because, like I said, if what I'm doing wrong is, he talks too much in between stories. You can have a warm glass and shut the fuck up. But everybody else, yeah, leave a review. Thoughtful. You know, if, if it's something bad, let me know. I'm not going to cry. I don't think. You can leave a donation at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. And on the Good Pods app, we also have a tip jar. You can go ahead and go there. Um, always wonder if there's more I was supposed to say at that point in time. Yeah, no. Yo, back in the day, I couldn't have brought this together like this, but I am going to say this now. And probably speak on it again in the future. In future chapters. Back in the day. Everybody in this book who. Didn't believe. Just seemed like. 
they were obstinate. They just seemed like they had like something going on in their heads. And I, I just thought it was part of a storyline. And then COVID hit. We'll talk about it later. Thank y'all so much for listening. Y'all be good. I'm going to at you later. Peace. to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.